Coming up this hour, we're going to talk about the Democratic Convention. And then for the rest of the hour, we're joined by Pastor Brian Zahn. You're listening to The Common Good. Hey, everyone. Welcome to The Common Good. My name is Ian Simpkins, along with Brian Fromm. We are so dang glad you are here. Welcome to the show. we got a lot of wonderful things planned for you today, uh, not the least of which is Pastor Brian Zahn, who's coming up next. If you've never read or listened to him, I can't encourage you enough to go do that. But we're really excited to have a conversation with him, most specifically about his recent book, Postcards from Babylon. It's wonderful. But uh, a couple of quick things to get out of the way. You can find us on Facebook, The Common Good Radio Show. That's not only where we post articles. I posted one earlier today about see-through bathrooms in Japan. Uh, that. That one's weird. You can go find that there. You can also, if you want to, send us messages if you have Thoughts about previous shows or ideas for future shows. You can also find us on Instagram and Twitter at Common Good Talk and wherever it is you get your podcasts. I am really grateful. If you uh, subscribe, rate, and review, it takes just a couple of seconds. All of that does help us out a whole heap of a lot. And uh, I don't want to just dive right into the news. That feels rude. So first, I'm just going to ask you, Brian, how are you doing today? Oh, I'm doing great. It's a beautiful day outside. And uh, yeah, it's a good day. And I'm uh, tonight... Uh, my daughter, for the first time, is playing organized softball here in the fall, and I'm going to be one of her coaches. And I've never coached softball, so this should be fun tonight. She, I'm kind she of excited. excited about that or mortified? Uh, she's super excited. She begged me to help coach. I think it's a little bit of a security blanket, but all you know, lots of friends on the team, and it's going to be fun. Just the, any any ability for them to play organized anything right now outside yeah. with friends were taken. So if first practice tonight I'll I'll report back tomorrow but getting uh dipping my toe into uh into 6th grade girls softball tonight. I'm sure you already know this but that's that's kind of a gift that she actually wants you to be around, right? Yeah. Like that's not every dad has has that experience. We're like, "Dad, please come be a part of this other thing that I'm doing with my friends." That's a pretty big deal, right? It is. And I, I love it. And my wife and I, a long time ago, uh, kind of decided that we would coach as as often as we could up until the age when, like, they needed better coaches than us. And so, you know, <laughs> we were always the park. We would always team coach, to, you know, their park district soccer teams or basketball teams. And that's always the thing, right? Like, in the moment, it can be annoying sometimes. Like, oh, I got to go to practice. But then you're like, you know, what am I going to remember when they're out of the house one day? I'm going to remember coaching second grade basketball or that kind of stuff. And so right. I love it. I'm super excited to do it. And uh, yeah, I feel a little bit uh, out of my realm of what I know. But, you know, I figure I can fake it. Softball, sixth grade. I think we can do it. We we believe in you, Brian Fromm. And uh, thank I you know that I speak for everyone when I say we would love some video footage of your coaching <laughs> so that we can all uh, enjoy assessing that yes. together. Uh, I look forward to doing that next week. Also, OK, so we got to talk about it. I don't know how much I have to say about it, but uh, there was a convention yesterday, the Democratic National Convention. And uh, I don't know if you caught any of it live, Brian, or if you followed up the day after, but uh, I'd love to know generally thoughts, takeaways, feelings. Uh, so I did not watch any of it live. It's just weird that everything's virtual right now. And yeah. so you almost forget that it's going on. And so I did see it on Twitter. I was like, oh, I might go over uh, being virtual and Zoom or whatever they were on. <clears throat> it, some of it was weird, right? Like uh, some of the speakers you felt down were literally looking down on you, <laughs> like the way they had their cameras or right. the John Kasich one with like standing at like a crossroads was a little odd. Um, but you know, I do feel like there was effectiveness to it. Michelle Obama is, I think, regardless, I know we have some people who probably love her, some people who probably disagree with her politics wholeheartedly. 
you got to hand it to the fact that she's a great speaker. And uh, I thought the parts of her speech that I saw were compelling. And uh, the takeaway, like when she said when she used President Trump's line of it is what it is like, that's compelling uh, just as a speaker. So I thought it was weird. But the Republican one's going to be weird, too, being virtual. They're making the best of it. And uh, yeah, I thought it was it's, it's interesting. It's the world we live in right now. Uh, I'd love to know a little bit later what you thought of the it, it is what it is comment, because I yeah again, I saw social media blowing up and I'm really on both sides of the coin. There are other parts of her speech that I, I did appreciate. She said, let me tell you uh, once again, this job is hard. It requires clear headed judgment, a mastery of complex and competing issues, a devotion to facts and history, a moral compass and an ability to listen. I, I appreciated just in general recognizing like hey, this this is just a hard job, no matter how you slice it. You know, I think sometimes, and I don't want to put words in your mouth, but don't you sometimes feel like we can forget that from the comfort of our computer screens? It's kind of like being oh, yeah. an, like an armchair Absolutely. coach. You're like, oh, why would he pass when he should have ran? Like, it's really easy to say with a bag of Frito Lays in your hands, man. Why, why don't you uh, ratchet that back a little bit? Like, I, exactly. I, I did appreciate that that perspective. Yeah, I think so too. Just and she had firsthand knowledge of it, right? Living in the White House and. Uh, there's an interesting subplot going into tonight that we don't have time to get into. Maybe someday uh, some new pictures uh, came out of that kind of linked Bill Clinton with some of the Epstein accusers. Nothing sexual. It was a but it's another picture on the day he's speaking at the convention. And so there's a, my Twitter is kind of going crazy right now. of People going like, how has he not been canceled? And then other people like he's an ex-president, like he should speak. And just a very interesting backdrop to President Clinton's speech tonight. Yeah, and there's a, a couple of other articles that we'll put up on the Facebook page. And if you engage with it, if you leave comments, maybe we'll include it in a future show. One's out of religion news that says Democrats tap array of faith leaders to speak at convention. And the other yeah. one is a completely different perspective, but it says Joe Biden's Catholic politics are complicated, but deeply American. Both of those were like, I thought, pretty interesting perspectives because we've heard a number of people say, we well, can't be a Democrat and a Christian. I've heard people just outright say, that's not possible. And uh, there seems to be a number of people, smart, intelligent, committed to their faith, writing about the complicated faith components of both right and the left. And I'd love to know, like, how are you grappling with all that? Yeah, it's it is interesting. I read that article that you put up there about Biden, that he is a deeply committed Catholic. But yet the Catholic Church has said some very strong things about specifically his stance on abortion and right. some other things. So, like, I think you use the correct word complicated. Right. Uh, and I think it's a great segue into our next guest because he has written a book that really gets at that. Brian Zond. And I think it's fascinating because anyone who says the right has the faith, the left does it or vice versa. You're, you're missing the nuance and the complicated nature of all this. And, and I think with something we have to wrestle with as the election gets closer. Well, sir, that is a perfect tease. Coming up next, Pastor Brian Zond, author of a number of books, Sinners in the Hands of a Loving God, and more recently, Postcards from Babylon, The Church in American Exile. That's coming up next for the rest of the hour here on The Common Good on AM 1160. Hope for your life. Hi, friends. Welcome back to The Common Good. My name is Ian Simpkins, along with Brian Fromm, and we are absolutely thrilled to have for the rest of the hour, Pastor Brian Zond, welcome to the show, sir. Oh, it's good to be with you. So good to have you. Would you just take just a minute or two and introduce yourself to our audience? Mm, well, I'm getting so old that there's a lot to tell, but I'll try to be speedy <laughs> here. Uh, I'm, I'm an aging Jesus freak. That's what I am. <laughs> I, I came to faith in Jesus Christ suddenly in my teen years when I 
I went from being the high school Zeppelin freak to the high school Jesus freak overnight. That created no small stir among my friends. And by the time I was 17, I was leading a ministry that was, uh, this was in the Jesus movement time. It Mm. was a coffee house called the Catacombs that by the time I was 22, we just started meeting on Sunday and said, we're a church. (laughs) None of which I actually believe is is a good idea, but it's what happened. Uh, So I've been I'm 61 now, and I have pastored this church, this Word of Life church, for now 39 years. Wow. Uh, but actually, you know, it has roots that go back farther. So I tell people, look, I've been doing the work of a pastor longer than I've been an adult. <laughs> wow. wow. Uh, I don't recommend that, but that's uh, <laughs> that's that's what happened. And uh, so I've really done one thing. My bio is pretty simple. Pastor of Word of Life Church, St. Joseph, Missouri. Uh, over the last 10 years, I've written eight or nine books. I say eight or nine. I mean, I've written eight, but I'm about done with the ninth. Nice, and nice. Uh, so so uh, I've written books, and I used to travel and speak a lot. Haven't done any of that since March. And my day job is I pastor Word of Life Church so hmm. in St. Joseph, Missouri. That's where I am, Love just it. north of Kansas City, the home of the world champion Kansas City Chiefs. <laughs> Sorry, I just had to go there. I had to get it. We understand. I had to get it. Brian, uh, besides it being a real pleasure to have another Brian on the show, I'm glad for that. Uh, mm-hmm. could you, How do you spell I, it, though? Uh, with an I. The only, way to spell. the only way to spell it. Uh, I'm curious. I'd love to hear more of your story about coming to Jesus. You said it was pretty dramatic and kind of overnight. I'd love to just hear uh, a little bit more of that story. Well, I grew up. I mean, it wasn't like I was unaware of Jesus. <laughs> Yeah, I grew up in a good home and a family that went to the local Baptist church and all that. And I didn't I didn't hate it. I didn't love it. It was just there. It was just kind of and Jesus was on the periphery of my life. Hmm. He occupied roughly the same kind of spaces, maybe like George Washington or something, (laughs) you know, just some sort of historical figure that's like important. Uh, and I went to a fellowship of Christian athletes sponsored event at the local university, November 9th, 1974. And the speaker was David Wilkerson. I don't know if anybody knows who that guy Mm -hmm. is. This is, you know, David Wilkerson of the, well, originally of the cross and switchblade thing and Mm -hmm. and his work with gangs in New York. And uh, I remember they had a Christian band playing that I thought was super lame. <laughs> and I thought, man, that that is not that does not even rock. That does not rock at all. And uh, I wasn't even really interested. I don't know why I was there. I got roped into it. You know, some other friends got me to go or something. I don't remember exactly. All I knew, all I know, is that at the very end there was this, you know, invitation given. And suddenly I just knew that I needed to do this, that I needed to say yes to Jesus. And it was suddenly very dramatic. And um, it's hard to describe, but I knew that I had encountered the living Christ. Mm -hmm. Uh, We went out with my friends afterwards and we went and, you know, we were just hanging out, went to get something to eat. And I was I was uncharacteristically quiet. And I just thought, wow, something just really happened to me. And. I got home about midnight. This will sound a little, you know, mystical, but I don't know how else to tell it. You asked the question. So <laughs> um, I walked into my bedroom and it was as if, it's hard to describe, but it's as if the room was suddenly immersed in light. It was just wow. not like coming from one place, but it was like, it was like the room was filled with light from floor to ceiling. 
Hmm. And I, I fell to my knees and I lifted my hands and I worshiped Jesus. I'd never seen that done. I, I, you know, I could imagine that maybe people did that, but I'd never seen it done. Hmm. And uh, it was it was quite dramatic. I don't think at all that that this needs to be typical, that if people come to Jesus very gently or slowly or they can't even, you know, remember a time when they weren't, you know, drawn to Jesus. I don't think that's illegitimate at all. But that's my story. That's how it mm-hmm. happened. And uh, I was very quickly, you know, leading Bible studies at school. And leading a Bible study meant that I could just read a chapter of the Bible that I'd never read before, which was all of it the night before, and then teach it to other kids. <laughs> so that's how, and, and that that led to the catacombs and that led to Word of Life Church. So really, I've just kind of done one thing all of my life. Yeah. That's remarkable. You, you have a number of books that uh, have been incredibly helpful for me. You're also a pretty prolific blogger. And I don't know if this is actually a thing, but I would I would categorize you as like a Twitter provocateur. I think that's safe to say. As well. <laughs> yeah, I, I want to say that that I think real life BZ is is it probably four times less snarky than <laughs> Twitter BZ. BZ. I, there's a little bit of a persona going on there. Okay, mm-hmm. so. Because it's, I guess it's Twitter. I don't know. Uh, it does kind of bring it out in all of us. I don't think. And, and, don't and think you know, sometimes, sometimes the Holy Spirit convicts me and other times my wife convicts me. But yeah, I try to keep that. But yeah, I am something of a provocateur, I, I would say. And I would say that's fairly intentional. Well, and I, like, and I appreciate it a lot because I feel like the things that you at least expose or are shedding light on, or at the very least, the questions you raise are, are so necessary. And I think of like, your book, Sinners in the Hand of a Loving God and Farewell to Mars, Beauty Will Save the World, was a, a big book for me and the work that I was doing. I, I'd love to know just briefly a little bit about Postcards from Babylon, and then later in the hour we'll kind of unpack a little bit more. But what, what's kind of the general like vision and hope for that book? Uh, well, I think it's the subtitle, The Church in American Exile. Mm. Uh, just to really throw it out there all at once, just to do- jump in the deep end, I think – American evangelicals desperately need to view America as a kind of biblical Babylon, not as a kind of biblical Israel. Hmm. And once you make that theological move, it changes everything. Maybe in the next you know, segment we can talk more about it. But we have to understand America as an empire. I'm not saying that uh, to be pejorative. I'm just being analytical about it. Hmm. That America is many things, but it's also an empire. And as an empire, um, there's a lot the Bible says about that. So what do I mean by empire? I mean uh, empires are rich, powerful nations that believe they have a divine right to rule other nations and a manifest destiny to shape history according to their agenda. Hmm. Um, God loves nations with their culture, language, diversity, ethnicity, all of that. But throughout Scripture, quite literally, from Genesis to Revelation, there is an anti-imperial message going over and over and over. Because what empires claim for themselves, a right to rule nations, manifest destiny to shape history according to their agenda, is the very thing that God has promised to his son. So empires become a rival to the sovereignty of God, and they become a challenge for the allegiance of Christians. And so that's what Postcards from Babylon is about. That's not, that's not like a nice, soft, easy introduction to it. That's telling you what I'm up to. Well, that's what we call in the biz a perfect teaser. I cannot wait to ask more 
about that book coming up next with Brian Zahn, founding and lead pastor of Word of Life Church in Missouri. Also, the author of Sinners in the Hands of a Loving God and more recently, Postcards from Babylon. That's coming up next here on The Common Good on AM 1160. Hope for your life. Hi, friends. Welcome back to The Common Good. My name is Ian Simpkins, along with Brian Fromm. We have on the show one of my favorite authors and speakers and thinkers, Pastor Brian Zahn. He's the founder and lead pastor of Word of Life Church and the author of a new book called Postcards from Babylon. He gave us a bit of a a teaser there on what kind of the general arc of the book is. And uh, there's a a quote from it that I want to read briefly and then sort of get your response to. You said, we should always remember that the ends never justify the means. Rather, the means are the ends in the process of becoming. If the Mm -hmm. means are death dealing, then the ends aren't going to be life affirming. Could you talk a little bit more about that statement? Yeah, I don't remember exactly where that is in the book, but I imagine that it's somewhere in the context of how we understand violence. Hmm. Um, Americans are deeply seduced by the myth of redemptive violence. Maybe the iconic image would be, uh, you know, the cowboy with his six shooter who writes all wrongs by, you know, taking out the bad guy with his trusty iron. Hmm. Uh, and that is deeply embedded in how we think as Christians, and it creeps into the church. And so we believe that we can go about achieving good through the means of violence. That is, to put it really crudely, uh, how do we deal with evil? Well, we kill the bad guys. Hmm. Um, and so we think, yeah, the end is justified by the means. That's, that's, the, that's the devil's bargain that's lurking in there. Uh, but in fact, the end, the means, how we go about it is the, is, is the end in the process of becoming. Hmm. And it's interesting that when I talk about the idea that violence is not acceptable as a way to bring about the purposes of God on earth, uh, a lot of people, that's massively unpopular among right. a lot of American evangelical Christians, and yet it was entirely non-controversial for about the first 300 years of the church. Mm. So when people say, you know, Brian has a, a progressive vision or a progressive message, or he's just he's just a full-on liberal, he doesn't even believe that we should wage war. And I said, well, no, that's actually the conservative position. Mm. This is what the church held to begin with. And... Mm. Uh, that's quite clear. That's not really a matter of debate. Uh, the scholarship is will solidly tell you that. And I mean, you can read the church fathers for yourself. Uh, the church just saw the waging of wars incompatible with following Christ. Hmm. Soldiers, if they were already soldiers and then came to faith in Christ, they could remain in the Roman army because the Roman army was pervasive and they did a lot of things. They They were basically the police force. They were also the engineering force and the construction force for roads. And so they didn't say you had to leave the military, but you did have to take a vow that you would not kill even in combat. Mm -hmm. And this was just a matter of course. It's interesting. The early church debated so many things, you know, the nature of Christology and, and what books are to be admitted into the Bible and how we understand the Trinity. And there were all kinds of fierce debates. But if the question was, but should Christians ever kill? Heck no. I mean, that was, that was, they all agreed on that. Wow. And um, what happened, though, 
was uh, the church got seduced into a, I would describe it as a chaplaincy role with the empire. What happened was, is in the year 312, there is this civil war going on. There's, there, there's a vacancy in, you know, for Caesar, and there's a couple of generals that are fighting for it. And as the legend goes, and I think it's no more than a legend, a hagiographic legend, hmm. uh, this, this one general, Constantine, sees a vision of a cross in the sky with the words, in this sign you shall conquer. Of course, conquer is a euphemism for kill. Mm-hmm. And so in the sign of the cross, you shall kill. And he wins the battle of the Milvian Bridge. He becomes uh, emperor. He makes Christianity the favored religion. In short order, it becomes the state religion of the Roman Empire. Um, the church goes along with this. And I, and I don't really want to condemn the fourth century church for doing that. I think it was a mistake. I think history shows that it was a mistake. I also think it was, all, it was quite nearly an inevitable mistake. Hmm. That I can't imagine, let's say, a Christian in Milan hearing in the early decades of the of the fourth century that the emperor apparently is now some kind of Christian and this Christian saying, well, we're not going to put up with that. (laughs) And uh, no, they, they, they came along, but it created a problem because the seminal confession of the early church was always Jesus is Lord. Now, you have to understand that at that time, that would sound much different than it sounds today. Today, it is some sort of just general uh, religious affirmation. Mm-hmm. Uh, to say that, you understand that the term Lord was a political term. Right. It was an imperial title granted by the Roman Senate to the emperor. And so to say that Jesus is Lord is at least by implication to say that Caesar is not. Mm-hmm. And so what happened was, uh, now there's this confusion. Well, Caesar's kind of Lord, but we can't get rid of Jesus. So, so okay, Jesus is going to be Lord of the heavens. Caesar can be Lord of the earth. What happens is Jesus gets demoted to the secretary of afterlife affairs. His mm. job is to get us into heaven when we die, mm. and we'll let Caesar run the world. Mm. Um, but, but Caesar is going to do it not by the cross not by co-suffering love, not by laying down his life for his neighbor, but by killing his enemies. Right. And, and so the church comes along and endorses that, and it puts us on the trajectory of Christendom, which reaches its apex in the two world wars in Europe in the 20th century, where millions and millions of baptized Christians killed other millions and millions of baptized Christians in the name of their national allegiance. Hmm, right. And then we ought to think, hmm, something's gone wrong here. Hmm. Yeah. So, yeah. so if you again, people always want to just drag me into like, it's 1940, and what are we going to do about Hitler? Right. I said, well, right. we can have that conversation, but you understand the primary cause of World War II is World War I. I mean, you don't get the sequel without having the first one. <laughs> and you, you ask people, what was World War I about? And not one in a hundred can tell you yeah. what it was about. It was about rabid nationalism that got out of control because mechanized warfare had arrived too quickly and we didn't understand how to turn it off. Hmm. And so it leads to the slaughter of millions of people, the vast majority of whom called themselves Christians and were baptized. And so I think we have to say, my goodness, something has gone wrong. And so that's all trying to sum up uh, the end is not justified by the means, but the means are the end in the process of becoming. That's good. And Brian, that, that is fascinating. I'm curious, 
as uh, in the book, as you start to understand uh, this link to Babylon, how does that affect, say, political engagement or even patriotism? What do you how do you answer that for people? Well, uh, I, I try to be passionately ambivalent about partisanship <laughs> uh, because my allegiance right now, everybody wants to plot everyone else on either a left, right donkey elephant grid. And I just resist that. Mm. Uh, I really am sincere when I say I can sum up my politics in three words. Jesus is Lord. Mm. Uh, I mean, that's not me being coy or cute. That's me trying to be succinct in what I actually believe. Um, Maybe in the next section, we can talk a little bit about what we mean by Babylon and what Babylon represents in both the Old and New Testaments and how it's important that Christians understand that we are living in a kind of Babylon and we have to learn to live as exiles. Mm -hmm. Uh, I I, I tend to vote these days toward who I think will do the least damage. Mm. I don't really carry a lot of hope that, that, that some political apparatus is going to be able to actually bring the kingdom of Christ. Uh, I, I'm quite convinced that neither major political party in America is capable of doing that. So how I vote today is informed most by who is going to do the least damage. That's how mm-hmm. I think about it. Well, Reverend Zahn, you are two for two with these radio teasers. Coming up next <laughs> with Brian Zahn, founder and lead pastor of Word of Life Church, but also author of Sinners in the Hands of a Loving God and Postcards from Babylon. Coming up next, we're going to talk a little bit more about what do you mean by Babylon I'm going to ask you about the cross, and maybe we'll even sneak in some Bob Dylan. That's all coming up yeah, there you go. here on The Common Good on AM1160. Hope for your life. They sat together in the park As the evening sky grew dark She looked at him and he felt a spark Hey friends, welcome back to The Common Good. My name is Ian Simpkins along with Brian Fromm. We've been joined all hour Pastor Brian Zahn, he's the founder and lead pastor of Word of Life Church and also the author of a number of wonderful books, Sinners in the Hands of a Loving God, Postcards from Babylon. I do want to say out loud to you before we run out of time, I'm so grateful in particular for Beauty Will Save the World because I, I started a, a ministry, an organization a couple of years ago called Beauty in the Common, and that book was actually incredibly instrumental for me. So hmm. just to say it out loud, thank you for your writing and your blogging and your preaching. It's been That's super very kind of you. Thank you. I just heard from uh, someone did a interview. Or they they wanted. I just heard right before I came on with you that there's a, a radio station in somewhere in Ireland that wants to have me on to discuss beauty will save the world. Oh, okay. Wow. Right on. That's awesome. So Brian, as we talk about your book, Postcards from Babylon, I guess. Kind of more foundationally, can you even describe for our people uh, Babylon and that background and how maybe right. it links to our country now? So, you know, in the in the story of Israel, uh, you have a people chosen by God to be unique, to uh, to be part of God's salvific efforts in the in the earth. Uh, but in their long history, their long story, there comes this calamitous moment. When in 587, Jerusalem is destroyed and the people are carried away into exile. Mm. And so now they have the challenge of remaining faithful to the living God, but they have to live as exiles. And so this is what the book of Daniel is about. So they're having to try to navigate this narrow uh, passage of, on the one hand, 
you have to make your living in Babylon. You, you, you know, they're told that by the prophet Jeremiah, seek the welfare of this city. Right. And, and so they're employed even by the, even by the, by Nebuchadnezzar and by the royal court. And yet there's a line they can't cross. And so they might have to brave lion's dens or fiery furnaces. So this is what this book is about, is about how do the people of God maintain fidelity to the living God while living in a broader pagan culture? Mm-hmm. Now, and, and I think people understand that story. Babylon is the, is the quintessential iconic image of empire within, uh, within the scriptures. Now you get into the New Testament, and at the beginning of the first epistle, uh, first epistle of Peter, you have Peter saying, he, he's writing to, he calls them the exiles. Hmm. And, and he describes the provinces in the eastern part of the Roman Empire. Uh, they're not exiles in the sense that they haven't always lived there or they were displaced to there, like the Jewish exiles to Nebuchadnezzar or to uh, Babylon. Rather, by virtue of their baptism. Hmm. They have they, they these are citizens of the Roman Empire, at least many of them would be others might be slaves, but they're inhabitants, let's say that of the Roman Empire, and this is what they've known all their life. but now, with their confession that Jesus is Lord, they have been baptized, and suddenly they're exiles in the land of their birth, mm-hmm. and they have to learn how to live uh, faithfully and at the end of that letter. Peter writes cryptically, she who is in Babylon greets you. Right. Well, I mean, the, the tradition is that Peter is writing from Rome. That's what's being referred to. At this time, Babylon is hardly even a city anymore. It's kind of mm-hmm. walked off the page of history. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it's a cryptic way of referring to to Rome as a Babylon. So as the Jews had to figure out how to live in Babylon and still maintain their fidelity to God. So now Christians have to learn how to live in the Roman Empire uh, and maintain their fidelity to Jesus Christ. And this is, of course, what the book of Revelation is mostly about. I don't know if people know that, but that's mostly what the book of Revelation is about. It's mostly a prophetic critique of the Roman Empire Mm -hmm. that is portrayed in various ways. Um, at one point, it's portrayed as a drunken woman riding on the back of a beast. Mm. And the woman is Roma, uh, which is the patron goddess of Rome. And readers would get that. It would be like someone today depicting the Statue of Liberty as a drunken prostitute. <laughs> mm-hmm. oh, wow. And you wonder why John the Revelator ends up in prison or, you know, in exile on right, right. Alcatraz. Uh, <laughs> so so it is it is a prophetic critique of the Roman Empire calling Christians to live faithfully to Jesus Christ. Hmm. And I think that speaks powerfully to the situation we have for Christians living in the American context. America is America is huge, and it, it's it's four things. It's so big; it's not just one thing. It's it's a nation, it's a culture, it's a empire, it's a religion. Hmm. Um, as a nation and culture, I mean, you know, obviously it's a, it's a political nation, right, with its fifty states and all of that. Uh, and it's a culture because you know, back when I used to travel the world, I could find American culture everywhere I went. Right, it's a, right. It's, you know, it's exported its culture around the world. As a nation and as a culture, the United States is a mixed bag, but there's much that is admirable. 
Hmm. There's much that is inspirational. Right. And I want to be very clear about that. Hmm. Uh, as an empire, that becomes problematic because it is a challenge to the sovereignty of God. And as a religion, uh, well, of course, Christians are going to have to ultimately confess that's idolatrous. Right. right. Um, I, I, I don't know what our listeners are thinking when I say America is a religion, but it is hmm. complete with founding myths and founding fathers and holy days and sacred ground and mm. iconic images and liturgy and liturgical gestures. It carries a powerful religious component. But the big problem is that uh, I'm a pastor. You guys are pastors. Mm -hmm. I think the greatest challenge facing American pastors today is that we are tasked with trying to make disciples of people who have already been thoroughly discipled into mm. a rival religion. Mm. But the rival religion borrows so extensively from the vernacular of the Christian faith that people don't understand that we are talking about two rival religions. One, historic Orthodox Christianity, and another, which is an Americanized version of it, mm. uh, which is a deep distortion of mm. the purposes of God. So, for example, you know, Abraham Lincoln said and nearly every, every other president has said it since that America is the is the last best hope of Earth. Hmm. No, it's not. Not right. if you're a Christian. Right. Right. <laughs> Jesus is Lord. Jesus is the savior of the world. Jesus is not. He's the last, best and only hope for the salvation hmm. of the world. That is a solidly orthodox statement. Hmm. Uh, so that's an example of a religious uh, aspect Hmm. of American devotion. So if patriotism means pride of place and devotion to civic responsibility, I'm all for it. Mm -hmm. But if patriotism becomes much more than that, where it's my country, right or wrong, no matter what, uh, that's when it's dangerous. That's when, when you see on a church lawn, when you see a church that likes to fly flags, uh, and they've got two flags but one flagpole, and they want to have a Christian flag and an American flag what gets top billing? Always the American flag. Right, right. That's a moment of unintended truth telling that their allegiance to Jesus Christ is, in fact, penultimate. That what comes first is allegiance to nation. And that's a problem. Man, that'll preach. I, I want to shift gears just for the last minute or two that we have left because, you know, I mentioned the books that you've written and the sermons that you often, I think, a lot of people are really challenged by. But you also are a pretty prolific blogger, and I've used a number of your blogs over the years. I probably owe you money or something. But uh, <laughs> a, a couple of weeks ago— I've never ago, made a dime on blogging. I think some people do. I don't know. I, I haven't figured that out yet. Oh, good. I feel better about it then. But we, we <laughs> I did a, a sermon on uh, atonement theories, and we were really intentional about making sure people know th these yeah. are theories. And we were right. you know, talking about— substitutionary atonement, penal substitutionary atonement theory and how, you know, people kind of get caught up in that. And that really comes to us via Calvin, via Anselm. And I referenced a quote of yours. And I want you to spend just the last minute or so that we have left, because I got more emails about this comment than I have anything else I've said in a while. You said the crucifixion is not what God inflicts upon Jesus in order to forgive. The crucifixion is what God in Christ endures as he forgives. Could you just take a, just a minute yes, or two? Because there is, there is no rupture in the Trinity. Mm -hmm. uh, at the cross, Jesus Christ is not saving us from God. Rather, Jesus Christ is revealing God as Savior. Mm -hmm. um, yes, it was always inevitable that Christ was going to go to the cross, but not because God required the death of Jesus in order to forgive. Rather, it is just the way the world is arranged mm -hmm. that 
when a completely innocent one comes into the world, his fate is going to be what the fate of Jesus Christ was. Um, But it's not something the Father required to satisfy his wrath. When When the Son prays upon the cross, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. What is he doing? He is revealing the Father. This is throughout, especially John's gospel. Jesus says, I only do what I see the Father do. I only say what I hear the Father say. If you've seen me, you've seen the Father. Mm. So Jesus is not acting as an agent of change upon the Father. That's terrible theology. Mm. Uh, The Father is immutable. The Father doesn't change. The Son is not changing the mind of God on the cross the Son is revealing the heart of God, the heart of the Father. So you could think of it like this. When the Son prays, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. The Father might, we might imagine the Father in reply saying, of course, Son, that's who we are. That's what we do. Mm-hmm. If you want more on how I deal with atonement theories, that's in the book, Sinners in the Hands of Loving God. There's two chapters on it. Well, that is, I think, just about the perfect way to wrap this up. If you're just joining us, that has been Pastor Brian Zahn, founding and lead pastor of Word of Life Church, and also the author of numerous books. He said eight or nine, I think, which means nine is on its way. But Sinners in the Hands of a Loving God and Postcards from Babylon, the Church in American Exile. Brian, thank you so much for taking the time to join us today. Well, it was fun to be with you all. Just You just sat back and let me rant and do my thing. But, <laughs> I but love it, it. It was not, that was nice of you. Let's, <laughs> let's do it again sometime. Yeah. Love that. All right. <laughs> You've been listening to The Common Good on AM 1160. Hope for your life. Coming up this hour, we're joined by the founder of Inc. 180, Chris Baker. You're listening to The Common Good. Hey, everyone. Welcome to The Common Good. My name is Ian Simpkins, normally joined by Brian Fromm, but he is on his 14th vacation of the year. But he uh, tells us he'll be coming back. Fingers crossed. A couple of quick things before we get rolling. You can find us on Facebook, The Common Good Radio Show. That's not only where we post our articles, you can send us messages. You can also find us at Instagram and Twitter at Common Good Talk and wherever it is you listen to your podcast. If you wouldn't mind, honestly, subscribing, rating and reviewing, all of that helps us out a whole ton. And we're super grateful for all of you who have done that already. And uh, we say it every time. But man, oh, man, am I absolutely thrilled to have on the show for the very first time the founder of Inc. 180, Chris Baker. Welcome to the show, sir. Thanks so much. Ian. I appreciate you having me. It's our pleasure, man. I I was telling you off air that uh, I was just rereading your story on your website, which, by the way, uh, go to Inc180.com right now while you're listening, wherever you're at. But I I was just so moved again. Now I've known about your story for a while, but would you just take a few minutes and just tell people a bit of your story? Sure. Yeah, it's uh, it's been a ride. I'm 49 years old, married for 26 years and have three kids. But, man, a lot of things have happened in between all that. Um, my wife, my wife and I grew up in Los Angeles and, and, uh, you know, a lot of people out here look at me like I'm crazy when I tell them I moved to Illinois from California, but we grew up in South central Los Angeles. So not exactly the most glamorous part of the city of lights, but, um, (laughs) it was, uh, it was a crazy time. You know, I, I was never involved in gang activity as a kid, but I lived in Carson, California and, and most of my friends were bloods and, Mm it was a crazy thing because they, they knew I wasn't about that life and I wasn't someone that they looked at and said, yeah, we need this guy in our gang. 
Mm-hmm. Um, but I was an artist and, you know, I, I started off doing tattoos on my mom's front porch at 15 years old with her sewing kit to tattoo wow. these guys. And wow. really that's how me, my mom and my little sister stayed alive growing up in South Central LA. And, wow. You know, during that time, it was, it was crazy. I saw a lot of things that I just don't think people are meant to see. I lost 17 of my friends growing up to gang violence and, you know, dozens more to prison. I have, I have friends that are in prison on three strikes for nonviolent offenses that'll never get out unless things change in California. Right. Um, But, you know, seeing 17 of my friends murdered on the streets was, you know, enough to give me just a a crazy situation with PTSD and mental health Mm. uh, that I've been fighting ever since. Um, but, you know, the reason I, I moved, made the decision to move my, my family here to the Chicago suburbs was that my wife is from Chicago originally, we, although we met in L.A. in high school. Hmm. Uh, and it, it was wild to sit back and think about it, because when we made the decision, it was the night after my, my best friend Dante was shot and murdered in a drive by shooting. And I was wow. three feet away from him. No kidding. And, uh, the, you know, it was 1147 PM, two days after he had gotten out of jail, spent the day telling us how he had given his life to Christ and got baptized when he was locked up and, you know, got his GED when he was locked up and he wanted to move away and start over and start fresh and, and how God was giving him a second chance. Now, this is way before I had faith in my life. That was just 10 years ago. I mean, we'll talk wow. about that in a bit, but you know, we all kind of laughed it off. And this guy was a a very ruthless gang member who did a lot of things. And um, we all kind of laughed it off when he told us that he found God and God was this whole new guiding force in his life. And, you know, that night he was shot and killed three feet away from me and bled to death as we were holding him. And, you know, I got home about three thirty in the morning after the police and coroner and everybody had left, and <laughs> I called my wife to tell her I was coming home to kind of prepare her for what she was about to see. Because I was, I mean, I was wearing khaki sh- khaki shorts and a white t shirt and some black chucks, but I was red from head to toe. And Jeez. when we were talking about moving, we wanted our kids to have a, a better opportunity, and mm-hmm. we had been back to the Chicagoland area numerous times for family events and weddings and stuff like that. Yeah. And we're like, man, you know, Chicago's got all the things that we love most about raising our family. It's got great arts and music and sports and all of that. And it doesn't have anywhere near the gang problem we have in LA. Mm. And man, <laughs> I know now that God put us here for a reason because in my opinion, right now, current day, present day Chicago, south side, west side of Chicago, is worse than L.A. was in its height in the 80s wow. and 90s. Wow. And, you know, I, I believe we're here to do a service that needs to happen for people that are trying to change their lives and live out Second Corinthians 5.17 that says, therefore, anyone who is in Christ is a new creation. That's the right. old is dead and the new has come. But I'll tell you, it's it's really hard to live your life as a new creation when you're wearing the evidence of your old life all over your face and your hands and your neck. Wow. So that's really what it started with. And, you know, 2011, I'll never forget the day I went and presented this to my wife. And I said, hey, 
you know, this, I think this is what God wants me to do. And she looked at me and she said, all right, where are you going to do it? And how are we going to pay for it? Wow. I was like, well, I'm going to set up a studio in our basement. How's that sound? She was like, (laughs) okay. And, uh, and I said, you know, we're probably only going to do a couple of these a month. So I don't think it's going to be that much of a problem financially. Well, almost nine, it'll be nine years in October. We've done over 6,400 of them for free. <laughs> so wow. It's, wow. It, it's been the coolest blessing though, to be able to do that and meet the folks that we get to work with on a daily basis. That's remarkable. All right. So just to be clear, what, what is it that you do? Just paint a picture for somebody yeah. who, who has no, no real sense of tattoo culture or, what removal or cover up even even looks like what what is it exactly that that you do so we offer free tattoo removals or free cover ups so basically a removal is exactly that we're we're using a non laser alternative it's a natural saline based product to physically pull the ink from your skin if you want to get rid of that tattoo hmm. um, and it's great because it doesn't cause some of the other issues associated with laser removal such as scarring loss hmm. of pigmentation, um, you know, things like that. Um, and then we also do free cover-ups if they prefer to do just a different tattoo over the old one to disguise what the old tattoo was. And and I'll tell you, honestly, as an artist, that's where I love to play because hmm. I get to be very creative. Uh, a lot of the times when people come in for a cover-up, they say, you know, I just black it out. I just don't want to see it anymore. And hmm. as an artist... I want to give them something positive, um, productive to look at and to share their new story uh, so they can, you know, really get it out there. What's going on in their lives uh, about the the whole change, because it's not an easy decision to make that change, the decision to make that change. And then the dangers that go along with that are, are pretty lofty as well. So you're sticking around for the whole hour, which I am super, super grateful for. But I want to make sure to hit the website a bunch of times so that people don't forget it. How, how do you actually provide these for free? Can they go to Inc180.com and, and donate or partner? How, how would somebody do that? Yeah, definitely. We have um, a donation link on our homepage. It's about halfway down at Inc180.com. Um, I have people that do like a recurring monthly donation. You can set that up right there on the site or you can do a one-time donation and any amount you know, is a, is a major help. It all adds up. And, you know, I, I'd rather have 500 people donate $5 than mm. have one person write a big fat check. But yeah, you know, it's, we just want to share the love of Christ and, and really share how great he is and how he can turn things around for you. Man, I love that. All right. So that other voice you're hearing is the founder of Inc. 180, Chris Baker, and he's sticking around for the entire hour. We're going to get a bit more into his ministry and also some of his story and how he came to faith himself. And that's all coming up next here on The Common Good on AM 1160. Hope for your life. Hey, everyone. Welcome back to The Common Good. My name is Ian Simkins, normally joined by Brian Fromm, but he's on vacation for the rest of this week and a little bit of next week. But whenever one of us is gone, we're always so thrilled to bring in these guest co-hosts. They're always so much more interesting and smarter than we are. And Chris Baker most certainly fits that bill. He is the founder of Inc. 180. And if you're just tuning in, by the way, go back and listen to the first segment on the podcast because... Chris, your, your story is remarkable, and I've read it multiple times, and I've seen you speak places, 
And it stirs me every time. And the fact that you're using that story really for something really beautiful that a lot of people have told me, like, I never would have thought about that. What, what I would love to know about is your faith journey specifically. What, what, was, what was it like finding your way back to God? Well, it was crazy for me because I, um, I grew up in a Catholic Irish Catholic household. So I got dragged to church every week, but sure, you know, I, sure. kid, like so many kids, I just didn't pay attention. There were no kids programs that really spoke to me. So, um, I always believed in God, but man, that's where it stopped and you know, started and stopped. I didn't know Jesus. I didn't know the Bible. I didn't know any of this stuff. So what happened was, um, my wife came to me one time and like I said, in, in segment one, I had, um, I've had a battle with mental health stuff my whole life, um, depression, anxiety, and PTSD. And um, I'm blessed to know the power of, of prayer in that and also the power of counseling. And I'm a huge proponent of people getting help that they need. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, I go seek, seek my counselor out every week. And, uh, and we'll talk about this, I'm sure. But, you know, in, in the ministry, there's a lot of hard stuff to hear. But Basically, what happened was my wife approached me one day and, and she did it the right way. Uh, she came to me and said, Chris, I'm worried. Um, I think that we should go talk to somebody together. Mm. Mm. She didn't come to me and point her finger at my chest and say, you know, you're a mess. I'm afraid of right. what's going on. I'm afraid you're going to hurt yourself. She said, we should go talk to somebody. And so I said, OK. And I was so arrogant and lost at the time that my response was good. That counselor can tell you all the things that you're doing wrong is my wife to make me act this way. Right. And I'm not right. proud of that, but that's just where I was. Um, mm. So, you know, we went and we'd, we'd asked a bunch of friends who had gone through counseling, like, Hey, where'd you guys go? Who'd you talk to? We're looking for somebody. And the same name and place kept coming up in these conversations. Mm. And a woman named Joan Guest was a counselor at the Samaritan Interfaith Counseling Center in Naperville, Illinois. Wow. And it was funny because every time it came up, my wife and I would look at each other and go, Interfaith, that's like a church thing, man. We don't do church stuff. (laughs) (laughs) But finally, after like the fifth or sixth friend recommended her, we're like, well, she must be really good because, man, they were really messed up and now they're doing good. So let's let's (laughs) give it a shot, you know? And I was just... I was a mess, man. And so wow. we go in. It was a Saturday morning. I'll never forget. It was like right after the Haiti earthquake happened. Hmm. I walk in and I'm wearing shorts and a t-shirt, tattoos everywhere. I don't care what this woman thinks of me. And uh, She walks out to get us in the lobby. And I swear, man, she looked just like the church lady from Saturday Night Live. <laughs> and she, we go into her, her office and she's got cat posters up. And I'm like, oh, of my course. God, man. This woman's going to annihilate me. And uh, But the, the funny thing was we both immediately were really drawn to her. Hmm. And really, it, it felt like you were talking to your favorite man sitting there having Hmm. coffee it was just a real comfortable feeling comfortable situation so we liked her we kind of laid everything out there that first session and we finished up our hour we booked another appointment for the following week and i was grabbing my hoodie to get ready to get up and head out and she's like oh chris hang on i was like oh man here we go here we go right here we go and she said i like to offer to pray for my clients before we finish up 
and I, I don't say this because I'm proud of it. I, I just being honest and real with where I was mentally at the time. I, I looked at Lisa and then I looked at Joan. I rolled my eyes hmm. and I said, Joan, if you think it's going to make any difference, you praying for us, then you know, by all means, go ahead. Again, wow. very arrogant, very self-centered. Um, and she did. She started to pray. And I, you know, I looked at my wife and like, we folded our hands and like bowed our heads. and like, this is what we did at Thanksgiving. Right. Like, okay. (laughs) And, and Joan starts to pray for us and it was unique. It was, you know, I'd I'd heard people pray my whole life, my mom, my grandma, whoever, but it was different. This was different. It was about us being open-minded and giving us the ability to look outside of ourselves and to be open to change. And it really struck me. And then as I'm sitting there with my eyes closed, with my hands folded, listening to Joan pray, I had this kind of feeling take over my body. And the only way I can accurately describe it is when you take a fleece blanket out of the dryer in the winter and it's warm and soft and it feels good and smells good. It felt like somebody was draping that over my shoulders as I was sitting there with my head bowed and my hands full listening to Joan pray. Wow. And I'm, tri- I'm tripping out, right? Like, I, I don't right, know what's going right. on, but I know exactly what's going on. Wow. <laughs> and then, you know, after that, it was like, I didn't hear a voice per se, but I had this thought populate my mind and just kind of repeat over and over like a, like a slot machine. It was just follow me and this will be okay. Stop wow. running away. Follow me and this will be okay. And I lost it, man. I was, I was sobbing my eyes out. And Joan's still praying. <laughs> and then I hear my wife crying, but I don't want to open my eyes because if you open your eyes, the prayer doesn't count. And, right, and right. <laughs> So Joan, Joan finishes the prayer and it took, it took us a good five minutes to kind of compose ourselves after that. And wow. um, I, I opened my, my eyes and I looked at my wife who was sitting right next to me. And I said, oh my God, this is what's wrong. Like, this is what's wrong with me. Like, there's a reason why I'm here. There's a reason why I'm still alive. And I've been running away from that for a long time. And I'm tired of running. Joan, can you recommend a church for me to go to tomorrow? And I said, even if they have a Saturday night, you know, there was that whole Catholic thing again, Saturday night. Right, right. (laughs) Anywhere, I'll go wherever. And uh, I went to church the next day. And I signed up that day to go on a 10 day mission trip to Haiti. What? Yeah, man. (laughs) It's just, you know, some people like Lisa and I joke about it. She's very much a, let me stick my toe in the water and see how this feels kind of person. Right. You're cannonballing. I'm like, let me dive off the hundred meter board. I'm going in. (laughs) And I did. I mean, I, I went from zero to 10,000 miles an hour very rapidly. Um, And it was the craziest thing. And it's the coolest thing too, because I can actually look back and tell you exactly when I knew Jesus was real. And to me, that's a a tremendous gift. um, Yeah. I mean, and the, the things that have transpired in my life over just the last 10 years like Hollywood couldn't write this stuff. It's right. too amazing, you know, and it's all God. Ink 180, wow. all God. It's not us. It's we're just the lucky ones that are, you know, able to do this work for him. 
we didn't think of it. And, uh, you know, being able to have a front row seat and, and have a conversation and listen to people who have, have lived through tragic circumstances in their lives, but they have such a, a faith in Christ that that's what's pulling them through it. Right. And re- right. recreating who they are. So it's just a, a huge blessing to be able to do this work. Wow, man. Thank you so much for sharing your story. I appreciate that more than you know. I have no doubt people listening right now are as moved as I am. What, what an incredible testimony, by the way. And I want to, you said something in the middle there too. I want to ask you a little bit about coming up next because I feel like mental health for Christians in particular has been stigmatized for so long and no one knows how to talk about it or, or really even who to go to. So I'm going to ask you a little bit more about that. But that other voice you're hearing is the founder of Inc. 180, Chris Baker. You can learn more at Inc180.com. And he's sticking around for two more segments here on The Common Good on AM 1160. Hope for your life. Hey, everyone. Welcome back to The Common Good. My name is Ian Simpkins, normally joined by Brian Fromm, but he is enjoying some lovely vacation with his family. But you, if you want to learn more, a couple of places you can go. Facebook page is The Common Good Radio Show. We post articles. You can send us messages. Plus, we're podcasted wherever it is you get podcasts. If you're just joining us live right now, by the way, I cannot encourage you enough to go back and listen to the podcast because for this whole first hour, we're joined by Chris Baker, who is the founder of Inc. 180. And you can learn more. I highly recommend that you do Inc180.com. And he's been telling us his pretty remarkable story, not only of how Inc. 180 was born, but how he found his own way back to God. And I really appreciate it in particular, Chris. You mentioned briefly in the last segment some of your own kind of battle with mental el- mental health and mental illness. And I feel like this is something in particular that the church doesn't quite know how to talk about or what to do with it. And unfortunately, at least in my experience, has been stigmatized for a very long time. Even, even the fact that you mentioned that you went to a therapist. For some people, they're like, oh, goodness gracious, how oh, not a therapist. Like it's It just feels like there's some odd uh, presuppositions. And I'm wondering, could you just tell us a little bit more about your journey there. Yeah. I mean, for me going to see a counselor and, and, you know, working through my mental health issues is probably the healthiest thing I've ever done for, for Mm -hmm. myself uh, and for my marriage Mm -hmm. and my, you know, being a father and everything. Um, I grew up, my dad was very abusive when I was a kid mentally and verbally and physically mm-hmm. with my mom and stuff. So I grew up seeing a lot of domestic violence in my house. And you know, he was just, he was not a present father. I'll say that. That's mm-hmm. probably the nicest way I could say it. Yeah. But, uh, I'm sorry. you know, I, I went through the whole process of forgiving him when I became a Christian and all that. But, you know, going to counseling, I, it is a stigma. And I don't know why, because, you know, I, I know I grew up in a house where, my dad used to say, oh, you know, guys don't cry. Um, right. Counseling's for girls. You know, what are you going to do? Sit there and cry and tell them all your problems for a hundred bucks an hour. And, and yeah, yeah, I am. Uh, that's what I do. <laughs> and that's how, that's how I live my life. Life is hard. Um, it's, yeah. it's not an easy thing. I mean, if you just take a look at the, the present day, what we're dealing with right now. Right. I mean, and before COVID, before George Floyd, before all these horrible things that have happened in the last few months, life was stressful as it was. Right, now you right. All these, all these other components into it, 
and shutting each other off from each other and quarantining, which of course was the right thing to do in my opinion, but it's, it's not how we're built. We're built to be a part of community. We're mm-hmm. built to be a group. And, you know, especially it, we look at it as Christians all the time. We're the body of Christ. Okay, cool. Well, when the body of Christ is cut off from each other, that's, that hurts. Right. Right. And if, if you have stuff like I had, I had mountains of garbage from my, my younger life that I was mm. you know, just suppressing for years. And I, I'll tell you that that feeling that day that I, I mentioned in the segment before where we went and Joan prayed for us, it was, it was like, I kind of equate it to living at the bottom of a, t- a cave and there's just hmm. this junk life heaps, this junk onto you into that cave and makes it harder and harder to get out of it. Yeah. And, but that, that one day and that one prayer and so many prayers since that time have removed all that garbage that was in, it felt like my heart was encased in concrete wow. and I was barely functioning and I was suicidal. I, you know, that was one of the things that drove Lisa to approaching me about going to talk to someone together. I had no value for my life. I thought that all the stuff that my dad told me when I was a kid was true that, you know, you're never going to amount to anything big. Just do the best you can and get through life kind of stuff. Hmm. And I I believed that for a long time and Hmm. going and having, you know, I have a great relationship with my wife and we talk all the time. Uh, We, and we talk about hard things a lot, Hmm. but it's still not the same as going to a counselor who's trained in, in trauma that can help unpack, pack some of that stuff and mm-hmm. help you find ways to to um, live your life despite it so yeah it, it's right. the most important thing and you're right churches are afraid to talk about it um mm-hmm. i know a lot of pastors who their, their church mandates them to go to counseling a number right. of times throughout the year and they find ways around going to it yeah and i'm like right. why, why are we so afraid to talk about our problems Right. Because right. Some, I mean, I, I tell people all the time, like, you know, they hear me speak at their church or, or on a podcast or radio, whatever. And they're like, oh, my gosh, you're just, you're such a great guy. I'm like, you wouldn't have wanted to sit with me 10 and a half years mm. ago. I was a different person. Right. I, was, right. I, I tell people all the time, you know, they ask me about my tattoos. I have, I have 98 tattoos on my body and I love every one of them. But I tell mm. people, honestly, like. Look, I got, I started getting tattooed on my 18th birthday and I did that. So people would leave me alone. (laughs) It's not that I was, uh, not that I was a bad guy or a mean guy, or I was going to attack somebody. I've never, I've been in like two fights in my whole life. And, Hmm. but I, I'm, you know, six, four, 300 pounds covered in tattoos. So my whole objective was for, for people to be walking towards me on the sidewalk, see me cross the street and keep going again, mm. not, not because I was going to hurt them or do anything to them, yeah. but yeah. anytime anyone got close to me in my life, they died, they ran off or they went to jail. Oh man. And I just, I didn't, I, I could not stand the thought of 
losing any more people in my life. And counseling still works on that today. I'm 49 years old and it, and it works great. Dude, good for you, man. I I mean, honestly, marriage counseling has been great in our marriage. And I feel like anytime we tell somebody, especially being a pastor, there people, you can like see their shoulders lower, like, Oh God. Okay. Like, you, you guys aren't perfect either, right? Like it's, there's like this ownership of like, oh, we're all a little jacked up and we're all fighting our, our own battles. And, and we only have like a minute or so left in this segment. But what, what I would love for you to do, could you, could you just speak to the person who's listening right now who maybe they feel like their life is spiraling out of control? Like they're, they're fighting some serious demons or they're feeling like you were saying in the bottom of a cave, would you just speak some, some hope and encouragement to that person for a second? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, first, first and foremost, you're not alone. There's a whole lot of us out here hurting and um, there's a lot of people out here that want to help. And I'm one of those people. If you're, you know, you're in a place where you don't think you can talk to somebody, you don't think you can find someone, you don't have insurance, please give me a call or email me, chris at inc180.com. I can put you in contact with people that can help you for free. Um, Mm. We're here to listen. You know, I don't just tattoo. I love to get to know people and and, Mm. uh, hear their story and hear their pain. And, you know, I Mm. I can tell you that I'm far from perfect, but I get a little bit closer every day to where I want to be. And, you know, it's a, it's a walk. It's not a one time and you're done. It's, it's something right. that we work on for a long time, but it's That's very good. worthwhile because life is truly beautiful. That's so good, man. Well, that other voice you're hearing is Chris Baker, the founder of Inc180.com. You can learn more at Inc180.com. And uh, he's sticking around for one more segment. And we're going to hear a little bit more about his story, some other stories that maybe he's come across and the impact that his ministry has made. That's coming up next here on The Common Good on AM 1160, Hope for Your Life. Hey everyone, welcome back to The Common Good. My name is Ian Simpkins, usually joined by Brian Fromm. He is sailing the open seas. No, I don't think that's what he's doing. He's on vacation with his family, though, and he will be back next week. You can learn more about us and the show on Facebook, The Common Good Radio Show, or wherever it is you get podcasts. Plus, you can always go to 1160hope.com slash the common good and so for this week and the beginning of next week i'm going to be joined by some very special guest hosts one hour at a time and chris let me just say before i forget like thank you so much for one taking the time and two just sharing your story so honestly like as a as a host as a pastor it's really really refreshing and inspiring and encouraging and uh i just, I just wanted to say kind of publicly thank you for for taking the time to do that man um pleasure. i also you. know oh my pleasure I also know real briefly, you have a promotion in August and another promotion in September that's coming up. Do you want to talk real briefly about that before we, uh, before we get into it? Yeah, definitely. So we, uh, every month we try and do a promotion at the shop. We still do regular tattoo business as well as our ministry. It's about 70% ministry, 30% regular paid business. Wow. Uh, so we always try to do fun things to get people into the shop to kind of see more about what we're doing. But um, for August, we're doing Bible verse references for $50. So any reference wherever. Um, nice. We'll do those for 50. And then in September we're doing, because it's suicide awareness month, we're doing semicolon tattoos for $50. And then we'll be donating those proceeds to suicide prevention services for people to get help out there. No way. Okay. So people can either donate to the ministry or book an appointment at ink180.com. Is that right? Yeah, definitely. Or they can call okay. us at 
630-554-1404. That's fantastic. Okay, and you mentioned way at the beginning of the hour now that the impetus, the origins of the whole thing really was to serve gang members, but it certainly it's grown past that over the last nine years a little bit, hasn't it? How, how has it grown, and what are the people that you're serving? Big time. So in addition to our base of, of former gang members changing their lives, we also help sex trafficking survivors. We work with the FBI, Homeland Security, and the Department of Justice on that to help them remove wow. brands that were forced on them while they were being trafficked. Wow. Uh, we, we also help domestic violence survivors that have any kind of tattoo or scar from that time of their lives that they want to get rid of or cover up. Uh, we help people that dealt with self-harm or cutting to cover up their scars. And wow. then we're also helping young people that are going into the military because they change their um, their regulations on tattoos quite often. So somebody might have a, a very innocuous tattoo, but it's in a spot where it can't be seen with uniform regulations. So we help them get rid of those as well. So they can go serve the country. Wow. That see, and th- those are everything you just said in the last minute are things there's, I never would have thought of. Like, it's amazing that your ministry has been able to grow and expand like that to serve so many different people. I- I'm wondering, are there any stories over the last nine years that really stand out to you? Yeah, definitely. I mean, so many, I'm actually working on a book right now to kind of retell some of these stories. Nice. For people that have given me the ability to do so. But one in particular, uh, a young woman um, that we'll call Jennifer for the sake of this, but yeah. um, she was trafficked from Chicago to Milwaukee to Green Bay, Wisconsin on a loop for four years. Um, long, long history of sexual abuse in the home growing up, um, drug abuse. And she was on the street at 15 and was picked up on by a trafficker. Um, she was rescued by the FBI. She testified against her trafficker who had 17 total girls um, wow. working based out of Chicago, um, oh doing gosh. street prostitution, massage parlor prostitution, strip club prostitution, you name it. Um, very notoriously violent pimp who was given life without the possibility of parole. Um, just a horrible story. When I was doing one of her tattoo removals was on her back, like her shoulder blade. And she had a huge uh, scar across her spine at the base of her neck. Mm. And I had asked her what that was from. And she said that her pimp had broken a pool cue over her neck one night and she had to have spinal fusion. But, you know, she tells the story is like, so matter of fact, like, you know, like how we would say we stubbed our toe kind of thing. Right. Um, but she's an incredible woman. She has two kids. Um, I can't, she lives in a a state in the Midwest. And, you know, when you talk to people who were trafficked a lot, I'll just sit there and listen and try to fight back tears because these stories are so hard to listen to. Um, But I feel like I owe them that, you know, to just want to be heard. Hmm. Um, And honestly with them, I wouldn't, I would never blame a trafficking survivor for getting like a cabin in the woods and never being a part of society again. Hmm. Um, but she didn't do that. She, um, she's got a home. She's working for an organization that does education to fight sex trafficking, um, to educate kids about it. So they don't fall prey to it. But she was talking to me, this was a few years ago. She was, you know, calling me kind of giving me an update. And she said, yeah, there's a program here in, in my state where it's called John school. 
So if you're if you're arrested and prosecuted for um, soliciting prostitution, you have to go through this eight week class, and it talks about everything related to prostitution and sex trafficking and the whole deal to really open the eyes of these these guys mostly who were out there trying to buy sex. And I was like captivated by her story, and she told me she's like, yeah, I helped write this curriculum, and it took no us the last year to do it. We got passed in state legislature so it's law now and she's like hey i i know you're coming up this way to do some removals for another safe house why don't you come by this college and we're we're they're having a kickoff event there it's the first class why don't you come sit in on it and just see what you think and give us some feedback mm. so i did i walk in and it was about 10 minutes late and they had already started i'm sitting there in this, this huge auditorium and I look down at the podium and she's the one teaching the class. No way. So not only did she survive just this horrific life for four years, she yeah. gets rescued, sends her pimp away to prison for life, helps write this curriculum for John school and then is teaching it. And I was like, it's the most incredible God moment I've ever heard. I mean, talk about using your, your, horrible story for some incredible good yeah uh, and I, that's the kind of stuff that keeps us going you know when, when the money is tight and you know we're not doing well financially and i'm not doing well physically and i'm tired and i'm stressed and i remember stuff like that and there's a lot of those stories that's remarkable man i, I know that we only have like a like a minute or so left but I also know that you were recently in the hospital and had had quite a scare. I would love to know, maybe even just in general, as as we wrap up, how can we be praying for you and your family and Inc. One Eighty and your ministry? Like, what are, what are just some things that we can be praying for you guys about? Thanks so much. Yeah, I was. I have had a last two years. I've had a, a battle with a bacterial infection in my left thigh, and almost it almost killed me a couple of times mm -hmm. with sepsis Jeez. and stuff. Yeah, I'm uh, I'm at home kind of recovering right now. Sophie's in the shop still working. Um, mm. But, you know, with COVID, it's been so hard. Our donations have gone way down and right. trying to keep everything afloat until I can get back to work here in the next couple of weeks. Um, yeah. But just really just praying for healing. I have a hole in the back of my thigh that's about the size of your fist. And it's going to take the better part of nine months to heal up. So just really for healing and, you know, the perseverance and ability to keep things going. And in spite of this, this craziness that just came, you know, the minute we thought it was all good and done, it came back and reared its ugly head about two weeks ago. So Man. I'll get through it. God is good. And, you know, brought me through the worst of it last time. So I know that it bring me through this too. Well, dude, just, just to say it out loud, man, you inspire me. And I know that you inspire literally thousands of other people. And I'm so grateful for your story. If you're listening right now, by the way, and you heard some of the story. I cannot encourage you enough to partner with Inc. 180. You can go to Inc180.com to partner or to schedule an appointment. You can also call 630-554-1404. Uh, let's rally around them and what they're doing to, uh, to continue to serve people. Chris, thank you so much, man, for taking the time to join us today. Thanks, Ian. I really appreciate it. Yeah, likewise, man. You're listening to The Common Good on AM 1160. Hope for your life.